Fish on. This is the New York Angler Fishing Podcast, brought to you by nyangler.com, your secret spot online. Hosted by the man who introduced New Yorkers to the world of online fishing, Mr. George Skaka. Hello and welcome, everyone. My name is George Skaka, and you're listening to the New York Fishing Podcast, brought to you by your friends at NewYorkAngler.com, your secret spot online, made right here in the good old USA. Breaking tonight, we have a serious problem with striped bass, and it's all due to the... None other but those dirty surf fishermen that are fishing for striped bass using nine hooks and just killing all the fish. If you were to believe what you hear that's being written today, I just saw a Newsday uh, where I read a quote from a commercial fisherman named John German, where he says that the whole problem is dead discards from the recreational fishery, the inhumane practice of catching fish with barbed hooks. If you eliminate that, you'd be in fine shape. So here we are, shut down the fishery, it's all over. You heard it. You've been hearing the whispers. Well, breaking tonight. It's all over. Obviously, I'm just, I'm just joking here, folks. Um, the drama that comes along with a striped bass reset as far as, uh, catch sizes and limits is beyond belief. I've heard everything. I heard that they were going to stop recreational fishing. They were going to stop everyone charter boat fishing party boat fishing you couldn't you're not going to be able to fish from the surf uh the regulations are going to go into effect beginning in july i mean this happens every time we deal with striped bass so to calm people's fears let me in uh, i'll let you in on what i know to be the fact so the data that they're talking about has yet to even be peer-reviewed i think well it might have been peer-reviewed it's just that the report hasn't been issued it should be soon any day i have been assured that there will not be any bass regulations taking effect this year it's very rare that you will see a fishery disturbed in the middle of the season and especially this fishery that generates possibly billions of dollars well it does billions of dollars up and down the coast when you consider that striped bass were targeted um by 10 million trips of recreational fishermen alone, not including the uh, commercial take. So regarding that, it doesn't help uh, to point fingers and blame everyone. And ASMFC has conveniently taken the commercial fishermen out of this picture altogether. So they're not affected. They will not see a cut. They will not be affected at all with this new set of regulations. The fact is there will be cuts up and down the coast if people were as conservation-minded. Well, when I say people, I mean if the rest of the coast fished the way New York has fished, uh, one bass, they're all taken two, we probably wouldn't be in this situation that we're in today, but we are, and we will see a cut of some kind. I'm guessing it's going to be one fish at 32 inches coast wide. It could be, I could be wrong about that. But I want to get back to people pointing fingers at each other. 
listen, right now this is a recreational issue. I mean, I I don't like to disagree with the numbers because the numbers are the numbers no matter what you do. But this is a hard pill to swallow that uh, surfcasters are responsible for the state of this fishery. I, you know, I mean, okay, I'm taking the numbers, but it's really one of those numbers that's really tough to swallow. And as far as uh, the commercial fisherman, John German, who was quick to point a finger at the um, so-called horrible practice, inhumane practice, that's the word he used. Imagine this, a gill netter. Inhumane practice of catching fish with barbed hook. I mean, that doesn't help anyone. It doesn't help anything. I haven't seen any recreational anglers say a word about the commercial fishery. But this is what happens. Uh, Everyone starts blaming everyone else. And now that uh, John German understands that he's not going to be touched at all, of course, he's got to blame the surfcaster for the demise of the fishery. While in the meantime, he's using a gill net that has a 48% mortality rate. So, yeah. I mean, that, that's where we're at right now. So, look, we've been here before. Things are not as bad as they were years ago. In the 80s, you know, if you, saw, if you caught a striped bass, you'd have a crowd of people around you. Uh, right now, many of uh, this younger crowd is totally spoiled. I mean, I see them complain about only 10 or 15 bass in a night, you know, with one keeper. That's a rough night. You go back to the 80s, like I said, the truth is the only bass you'd see were in pictures in a magazine. So we're not in that bad a shape. We do need to do something and something's going to happen, but it's not the end of the world. Even if it went to 36 inches, we've been here before. We do what we have to do. We bring the fishery back, and then everyone's going to be happy. But there's a lot going on there. I don't want to expand too much on it because things are changing every single day. You know, I spoke uh, to a bunch of people up and down the coast. I'm doing a striped bass special podcast. I know I've been talking about it, but things are changing so much that I've had to go in and redo things. And uh, so I have to wait at least another week or two, but I do have some really good information um, regarding that fishery. For today's episode of the New York Fishing Podcast, I have a very special guest, a good friend of mine who I've known for many years uh, named Captain John McMurray. You may have seen him around Facebook or posting around. He's very involved in fishing management, although my conversation with him is all about catching fish and fishing, and he gets into his uh, style of catching big bluefin tuna on spinning gear and plugs, and it, it, it's a really good talk, so you'll have to listen, uh, listen in for that. But right now, you're going to get a few words from Rockus. You've seen him on the internet forums. Now, he's going to give us a little bit of fishing advice. The raucous ruckus. Raucous, what's on your mind this week? Well, I'd like to discuss basic fishing etiquette this week because you're getting close to the season. We're all getting antsy and we're all getting ready and I want everybody to be thinking about what they're going to do when things don't quite go the way they want when they get out there. Okay. Now, this, this, is, this is a 
classic example is where you should be do unto others as you would have others do unto you. And if you think about it, fishing is solitary, but at times you get up early and you get to your spot and there's somebody there. Yeah. So what do you do? There, you know, and it all depends. If uh, you know you, you're coming out of Port Jeff, you're around uh, you're around Mount Misery, you're heading to Buoy Eleven. You wanted to troll, and there is a big bunch of boats drifting there. You can't troll over your spot. You got to go with the flow. The fleet is drifting. You need to drift, and you can't even go in the middle and anchor. That's not that's not polite. If you're the first one there, you get to set the pattern for the day. But if you're not, you got to yeah. kind of go with the flow. Uh, you know, I have to agree with you. I've seen it time after time. You're drifting for fluke, and you know you get the googan that comes through the middle, dragging a couple of umbrella rigs, and he's just kind of towing around in between the fleet, and everybody's like, "What are you doing?" That's, well, that's no, a no, very it's, good point. It's a point. I mean. uh and, and, you know, if the fleet is dispersed and you can, you can allow for the drift and their lines and everything else, yeah, you probably control a little bit. But even, even if there's a troll pattern, if the, if the pattern's going parallel to the beach, but you want to par- you want to troll perpendicular, you really can't. You gotta, you know, you gotta assess what's out there. And it's a very can. good point. You are, must be a very polite angler. Yeah, well, I just, I just run, I run away somewhere else. I mean, you know, if I could. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the first thing I do. Whenever yeah. I go fishing, and even when I'm not catching, you know, whoever I'm with is like, oh, you should be over there with, with all those boats. And I'm like, yeah, that's the place you don't want to be, you know. Yeah, no, it, it's always an interesting thing. Um, if you're if you're surf casting and it's night, uh, somebody's on, right on your spot, you go, you know, you got to give him room and allow for, he's not always going to be casting straight out and the current's going to be, you know, there's going to be current set on his line. You got to allow for that. Plus, I'll turn your headlight on and walk into the water with your headlight on and try to be quiet. You know, these are all things that somebody did to you. You'd, you'd turn around and hit him with your rod, which I've been yeah. um <laughs> But my, my new my, my new favorite T-shirt this year says it's it's bright fluorescent lime green and it says if you can read this you're fishing too close. <laughs> I like it. The raucous ruckus. Great advice we got there. I mean we've all been there before. You go out to fish. You want to drift to Mauritius Inlet and you got that guy that's anchored right smack in the middle clam chumming or something. We've all been there. Great advice, Rock. Now we are going to move on to my interview with uh, John McMurray. Great guy, great fisherman, and he's got a great story to tell. I'm on the phone here with Captain John McMurray. I know John for a very, very long time. I'd say we've been around, uh, I've been around a little bit more than you, right, John? (laughs) A little bit, yeah. Yeah. All right. So uh, first, I'd like to begin with you telling us about your charter business that you have there. I know uh, you had one heck of a season there last year. And tell tell us uh, where you're fishing out of and, and what you're targeting. Yeah. So uh, I operate mostly light tackle charters. Um, we have a couple of flats gifts over in Jamaica Bay, New York, and Queens over there right by JFK Airport. Mm-hmm. Um, so in the spring, I'm fishing over there, usually uh, from mid-April till mid-June. And at that point, I start to focus almost exclusively on uh, the tuna stuff. And uh, we have two contenders over here in Oceanside uh, behind my house. Um, one's a 31 and one's a 36. 
Nice. And, uh, we we do something a little different than everybody else. We uh, we get underway and, and get to the tuna grounds. We don't bring any trolling gear at all. It's all uh, it's all spin gear. It's mostly top water stuff, but we do some some jigging also. And then in the fall, um, uh, once September comes around, I start to focus on the false albacore line. That's been really good last uh, several years. Um, yeah. In lower New York Harbor. And then October, November is striped bass again. And uh, I didn't mention anything about bluefish, but uh, yeah, that's certainly a big part of my business. Oh, okay, great. Yeah. So uh, last year I followed you on Facebook, and you had one heck of a banner year on tuna fishing. Now, look, I've done some tuna fishing in my day, uh, but you know, I always chunked or we trolled, and then I remember. Years ago, uh, Kill Song mentioning jigging and popping, and we started that board on the website. And uh, so I guess that's what you're doing. Can you get a little bit into that, How what you're doing? I mean, are you just looking for fish and then casting to them, kind of like you do uh, with bass or blues? Or uh, Well, no, not really. Um, and, you know, I, I'm not sure in the historical context whether this is, is particularly new or not, but it's certainly – new within the last two decades um, we've had this tremendous aggregation of sand eels in that 20 to 30 fathom range mm-hmm. and, and even a little deeper uh, you know i'd say the sweet spot is 180 foot to 240 foot um, anything anything deeper than that you generally don't find sand eels because they are a, a sand burrowing creature and they're not they haven't adapted to be a, a deep water species i mean they probably blow up in anything over 40 fathoms 50 fathoms Right. Um, so, so you find them in that in that kind of uh, I guess I'd call it a midshore area. It's not offshore. It's kind of halfway between Hudson Canyon and uh, <clears throat> New York Harbor. And so, uh, like twenty five, thirty mile run. Um, sometimes it's that close. So you could certainly get to thirty fathoms uh, running thirty miles, and in, 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 you know, if you if you run almost straight east or southeast. Right. Uh, but, but mostly I'm running, uh, 50 to 60 miles, uh, okay. which sounds like, which sounds like a lot and a center console, but you know, if you could do 40 knots, 45 knots, it's, it's not bad yeah. at all. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's interesting because the tuna fishery, uh, most people that participate in that fishery kind of beeline it for the canyon. And, you know, whether there's life That's out there or not, do. Yeah. Yeah, you put out a trolling spread and you, you kind of hope for the best and maybe you get fish, maybe you don't. What I do is I, I start looking at 20 fathoms and I'm looking for life. I'm looking for whales, dolphins, uh, cow nose mm-hmm. rays are a big one. You find the cow nose rays, you pretty, you pretty well know that the sand eels are there and there's likely tuna there too. Uh, yeah, tuna chicks, uh, storm petrels are another another really good indicator. Mm-hmm. Uh, and of course, shearwaters also. Shearwaters can can make things really difficult because they'll eat your plugs. And, yeah, I uh, spend yeah, a lot of time on them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so what we do is we look for that life, and you get on the life, and you, you're not seeing fish breaking. I mean, you will occasionally, but but it's you know that's an anomaly when you see them busting on the surface. What you do is you find that life. And you just start casting. I'll usually have two or three guys throwing topwaters. I'll have one guy throwing a stick bait, a couple of guys throwing poppers. And then I have another two guys uh, dropping down jigs, either either metal or soft plastic. And, uh, you know, even, even if you're not marking fish, we score pretty regularly doing that. 
Um, and, wow. and really, a lot of a lot of a lot of the success has been uh, right underneath the whales. I mean, we've had a tremendous amount of whales out there in the last few years. Uh, you know, it's almost scary how many they are. You, you kind of think at a point that you know one of these things is going to flip you over, like you know Moby Dick. Um, but the, yeah. the tuna, if you find whales, almost uh, you know, there's a, a good amount of the time there's tuna around them. Very interesting. So, what kind of plugs are you throwing? I know you, you said poppers, but I mean, like, are they what size are they? So, so I I um, I, I fished with the uh, the guys from Centaur, and they're they're Asian folks. They don't speak much English, and uh, they were kind of the ones that uh, introduced me to the stick bait. And it is a very simple cigar cigar shaped. Uh, plug with a little bit of reflective tape or whatever in it and you look at this thing you're like man this doesn't have any action at all this thing's not going to work but these guys you know I I had them out the first time and we stopped on one of these spots with all his life and I wasn't marking anything and I'm like come on guys reel it up let's go see if we can find some marks and they were you know very adamant about staying there and working it they were rotating around the, the, the boat throwing these stick baits and all of a sudden Bang, bang, we had a double hookup. Like, oh, wow. Dropped a, dropped a couple oh. pianos in the water, like, out of nowhere. And I'm like, holy crap. And, and <laughs> since, since then, I started just getting to life and blind casting. Uh, and these stick baits are interesting because, you know, if you wheel them through the water, they don't move at all. But you have to work them in a very specific way. And this is another thing, those guys from Centaur. Centaur is a rod manufacturer, by the way. Right. Uh, so... You throw them out there as far as you can, and you reel in the slack and just sweep the rod. And it's a floating plug. What it does is it sits on top of the water, and then when you when you give it that sweep, it dives down and, and goes back and forth a little bit. It's a very slow retrieve. It's almost counterintuitive. Uh, and, yeah, you when know, you think you, about it, because when you're trolling, right. you're trolling pretty you're fast for those things. Yeah, yeah, and when you're fishing inshore tunas, when you're fishing alveys, the, the standard is to you're cranking you know, it. Your, rip your 10 or deadly dick through the water as fast as you can. So, right. Uh, so those guys were doing that and, and scoring pretty regularly. So I started doing it, and, you know, I've made a pretty darn good business out of the offshore thing. Um, now, let me be specific that the stick baits really – seem to work best when there's no fish showing. We don't have them busting or pushing. And uh, I think it was back in 2017 uh, or 2016 where we actually would go out to these areas and you'd find the light, but you'd also see, like, little V-wakes in the water, which didn't look like much. But once you got on top of it, you know, it was uh, a couple of dozen big bluefin tuna swimming right underneath the boat and it was crystal clear water. Uh, so, so that's when they kind of would – you couldn't get them on a stick bait. They just weren't aggressive enough to, to hit that stick bait. But if you threw, a, you got in front of the school and threw, threw a big popper that made a lot of noise at them, you didn't get a lot of fish to bite, but uh, you, you get that one or two. And, and when you're talking about fish in the 150 to 250 pound range, all you need is, is one, you know. Yeah, and the whole, that's and, and you sure. fight it for a couple hours, the whole boat shares it. Nobody wants to do it again. So, so so what kind of tackle are you using? You're using spinners, obviously, but... Uh... I'm using, yeah, so there's a number of tuna-grade uh, spinning reels, and, and you really have to have a solid, durable reel with a good drag and a, a shaft that won't bend, because once things start bending in reels, that's when you get your failures. Right. Um, so, so the standard, really, for this type of, of fishing is a Stella 1800 or 20,000. 
I'm sorry, eighteen thousand or twenty thousand. That's a Shimano reel. Um, but I used yeah, to have install... a few fellows, but I have twenty five hundred, well, not eighteen thousand. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So those are those are big reels. I think they have like sixty pounds of drag or something crazy like that. But I found, uh, you know, when you get to that sort of drag, when you get to anything over 35, 40 pounds, you know, line breaks, rods break. So I, I use Van Stalls for a couple reasons. I use the VSB 250s mm-hmm. because, uh, you know, I, they don't have quite as good of a drag as the Stellas do. Um, I think it's, it's 35, 40 pounds, something around there. But they are very durable, and the reel is just solid. I mean, nothing bends on that reel at all. And yeah, for yeah. for the clients that I have, those those reels take a lot of punishment. They get banged off the gunnel, people drop them, uh, and and the Stellas just can't really hold up to that sort of punishment, whereas the Van Stalls can. And I right. want to be clear that the drag the drag is plenty for those fish. Um, and like I said, if you go over forty pounds, I mean something something else is going to break. Yeah. So what's the the season this year and the regs on bluefin? Has everything been established? Uh, or? So this happens every year. Uh, yeah. it's, it's kind of the default management measure. I think it's one fish between uh, between 27 inches and 72 inches or 73 inches. Um, right. And that's the default measure until they could kind of figure out what happened down south during the winter. And then they'll establish uh, management measures. And, and nothing has changed as far as the stock assessment goes and, uh, they, they shut that fishery down, down south when it meets the, uh, available quota. Right. So, so I expect it'll be the same as last year. It'll be two unders, two fish under 47, between 27 and 47 inches, one fish between 47 and 73 inches, and then one trophy fish per year. And, and, uh, let me be clear that those regulations are per boat, not per person. Oh, interesting. So if you were to, so when you say one trophy fish, you're allowed one giant a year. Yes. Right? If if you happen to stumble onto one, but your your boat is only allowed one. Yeah. So pretty interesting. We used to have the USATT, right, with, with those thousand-pound tuna they used to hang. Right. Right. And then they'd throw them out. They didn't even eat them back then. Yeah. Yeah. Well, but, so things uh, certainly changed since then. Yeah, that's, that's for sure. So – um. So you really had a quite a successful year with them. I mean, I was looking, and I'm like, oh, my God, I need to get in on this. But uh, I don't need that kind of a whooping. Yeah, yeah it's definitely <laughs> right work. Those 150-pound bluefin, boy, I'd say. I used to get them on big tackle, and they'd kick your butt, right. you know. So the sweet spot is kind of fishing those 80 to 100-pound. Yeah. And, and what happens is we get those big fish that move through in mid-June uh, and kind of stick around into early July. And, you know, we probably had a half a dozen fish last year. We just had no chance of moving. I mean, the spin gear, you kind of kind of top out at 300 pounds. Certainly people have caught bigger fish on spin gear, but 300 pounds is kind of the max that, that spin gear can handle. We probably had a half a dozen fish last year that we just kind of gave up on because we couldn't budge them. Oh, a lot man. of break-offs. So, so the fish the fish are getting a little, little bigger, little bigger every year, and uh, these are – Presumably the, the 2003s, 2004s, that was a really good year class. Um, but those fish are generally gone and up in Cape Cod uh, by mid-July. And, and then we start getting some more reasonable fish, you know, 50, 80, 100 pounds. And those are like the perfect uh, charter fish because it doesn't kill the clients. Right, uh, right. Yeah. 
Yeah. And they're good eaters. And so Absolutely. now, um, what about yellowfin? You getting yellowfin mixed in there, or? Yeah. So this is another interesting thing about that sand eel run. It's like you have these bluefin on the sand eels consistently, and then you'll you'll be doing the same thing, and you'll get this random yellowfin mixed in. It may be twenty or forty pounds, usually not a big one, and you may catch one or two more bluefin, but that's it, man. It's like the yellowfin totally take over. And you don't see another bluefin again until December when they come back down. Um, that, that's pretty. Uh, that's pretty interesting. Yeah, it is right, and, I, and I'm not sure if it's a water temperature thing, or whether or not the yellowfin come in in such numbers that they push the bluefin out, and the bluefin somehow understand, you know, it's too much competition here. Let's let's head up to Cape Cod, you know. <laughs> right. Right. So, all right, so let's talk a little bit about your inshore fishing. I I imagine you're fishing now. Um, everybody's yeah. catching bass. I see there's a bunch of New York boats going over there doing catch and release. Yeah. Kind of crazy regs, right? You're fishing next to the guys in Jersey. And yeah. They're keeping the fish and you're throwing them back. Yeah, so so I've been, yeah, I've been running over to to Raritan Bay. I've gone a couple times this year, um, just because it's the only game in town. Yeah. Um, but, but I have, you know, once the New York season opens, I I may kill a fish or two that I take out of there. But, uh, you know, I've, I've mixed feelings about, you know, the, the the amount of pressure those fish get hit with because those are all uh, pre-spawn Hudson fish. Yeah. Um, so it'd be good, you know, if we keep a, keep a few of those alive to get up get up to the Hudson and, and release their eggs, uh, so we have more fish to catch, you know, in the future. Um, but it's also, you know, it's a it's a thirty mile run for me, and you know the water is kind of ugly over there, and there's it's mostly guys trolling around you, and and my my charter service is almost all, uh, you know, uh, top water light tackle that sort of thing. So it's not right. really my my gig. I don't really start fishing hard uh, until a couple of weeks from now when the fish move into Jamaica Bay and I could I could employ the skiffs and, and fish poppers up against the sod bank and that kind of thing. Yeah, and by then, I mean, some of those fish, I guess, it's still staging to go up and others have already yeah. decided to come out, you know. Yeah. Uh-huh. So that's uh-huh. a weird time. Yeah. So I, I don't know if you want to get into this or not, but, but Jamaica Bay has uh last year wasn't wasn't terribly good. The prior three years were really good. And, and it all kind of depends on whether or not those two thousand elevens make it in there. Um and, and for reference, two thousand eleven was, was one of the, the few really good year classes we had in the last uh since two thousand three really. Um and they're yeah. kind of moving around, you know, sometimes they come in Jamaica Bay, sometimes they don't. And they're all like thirty six inches now, like thirty two to, to thirty eight inches. So they're good fish. Um, so I'm hoping they come in this year. And, and, and one of the other uh, things that really has changed about Jamaica Bay over the last several years is we, we have Peanut Bunker. We have uh, Juvie Menhaden coming in there in the spring now. And I, I, I'd never seen that before until uh, you know maybe four years ago. Uh, so what do you had the adults. So why do you think we have all these bunker around? You know as well as I do why. Because we well, paid that bunker bill. <laughs> back in well, that that uh, absolutely, absolutely, that's part of it. But but back in 2012, the commission, you know, finally uh, put put in a, uh, a reasonable catch limit on on the reduction fishery, and that allowed, you know, hundreds and millions of fish to to not get caught that year. And and you know, we, they're kind of flooding the coast. They're all the way up to Maine now, and people haven't yeah. seen that, in, you know, in a, forever. 
Um, yeah, yeah, but it's, to me, it's the best thing that there is for the fishery. I mean, absolutely. Um, you know, uh, I mean, my entire bass season revolves around menhaden aggregations. You know, like the fish definitely follow the menhaden. Oh yeah, there is no doubt about that. No doubt about it. And our fish are healthy. Our fishery, you know, our striped bass. I believe the Hudson bass. They just seem healthy. You, you kind of know when you caught a Hudson bass. Yeah, um, right. You know, and it, look at look at the bay, Chesapeake Bay. They're still mm-hmm. pulling all those bunker out of there, and and all those bass yeah. are starving down there, um, yeah. trying to compete. But that's great. So. So you're not doing any bottom fishing? You don't do any black fishing or anything like that? No, no, that's not my thing. I mean, I'll take my kid out every once in a while to do it, but I don't I don't run those sort of charters. Right, right. Okay, so how can people get in touch with you? Uh, well, I guess email is probably the best way. It's uh, john at nycflyfishing.com, and I want to be clear that that's an old email address. I I don't do uh, all that many fly fishing trips anymore. It's almost all uh, all spin stuff. Um, okay. But I, I you could also call me. Yeah, the website is uh, nycflyfishing.com. Uh, it's also onemorecashcharters.net. Either one of those will work. And, right. uh, Great. And, and my phone number, too, I should probably leave if you wouldn't mind. Uh, no, go right seven, ahead. Great. 718-791-2094. All right. Great. All right, John, look, uh, I wish you the best of luck on this upcoming season. And I, you know, I've known you for a long time. I wish you nothing but success and, you know, watching, uh, you know, I mean, I knew you before you were married. My wife and I, we sit there, we look at your kids. We're like, oh, my God, we're old. <laughs> you know, yeah, we, yeah. when we, we can, my wife was saying not too long ago how she recalls you saying, oh, no, I'm not having kids right away. Oh, no. <laughs> That's not going to happen. And my wife was like, he's having kids. She was right. (laughs) Yeah, it happened pretty quick, actually. I just, my son is a fishing maniac. He really loves this stuff. And, you know, I hope we keep a few fish around for him, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, you know, I'm I'm with you there. I mean, I'm all about, uh, I'm all about people getting out and involved in fishing. You know, I, I say it over and over, you know, they these kids around here, they grow up on an island. They have no idea they're on an island, you know. Yeah. They have no, most of them have no clue what's going on. But, you know, my son's 26. He still fishes a lot. I mean, he's not a maniac like me because he turned into a bit of a <laughs> uh, a motorhead. But he's wow. um, he's a great fisherman. He loves it. And uh, he really wow. enjoys it. And there's nothing like getting kids into fishing. So, uh Absolutely. But you know it's it's really nice to see uh how everything turned out for you and I'm 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 really happy for you. So and keep thanks up the good work. All right, thanks. It's good to hear from you and thanks for having me on the podcast. Hey, thanks for being So this is one of my favorite segments of the show. This is the fishing and relationship segment. The idea of this piece is to let the angler, well, the non-angler in the relationship, if there is one, a little heads up, give them a heads up on what to expect having a relationship with a fishing nut. So I'm here with my beautiful and wonderful wife, Barbara, and she's going to give you her take on one of the things you can expect. Okay, so... um take to 
Disney World. And um, so you think, okay, so you're going to go see Mickey and Minnie. It's like 5 o'clock in the morning, and I open my eyes. I say, George, where are you going? The parks aren't even open yet. I know we can get in an hour earlier than anybody else. I go, where are you going? So he looks at me and goes, I'm going to go fishing. I go, fishing? He goes, yeah, I booked a trip. I go, okay. I go, but you better be back by the time the park's open because the kids are going to be waiting and ready to go. So um, he goes fishing, and um, he could tell you what kind of day he had. So get Oh, ready. yeah, we had a great day. It was really, I tell you what, fishing Disney, it really is a great experience. I caught like a four-pound largemouth under uh, like a pirate boat or something, one of those boats. And uh, yeah, that that's great. So I think what she's trying to say is whenever you go on a vacation, be prepared. There will be a fishing trip involved. I mean, we went to, where was that place we went to with uh, Joel and we went down there. And we did some... Aruba? Aruba, yeah, Aruba. What is that? Uh, it's got some kind of a name, Love Aruba or something. Anyway, yeah, so I always managed to sneak in a fishing trip. Only there, I didn't really fish, but I grabbed some fish off the dock and took pictures yeah. holding them. Everybody thought I, I caught some oh, nice yeah. wahoos. So. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> True yeah. story. So what else, hon? Is that it? No, but I got to tell you, so if your husband's in Walt Disney World, let him go fishing because that whole day, he was in the best mood ever. And, you know, you wait on lines like for two hours and you're sweating and everything, but he didn't care that day. So um, if you ever go to Disney with your husband, let him go fishing because he will be in the best mood ever. There you go. I have the perfect partner. <laughs> so until next time. Happy fishing. Happy fishing. So our next guest is a very good friend of mine who I've been fishing with for close to 40 years. I know him longer than I know my wife. Um, there have been times where people think that we're a couple and <laughs> we're out at shopping or buying fish and stuff or going on our trips. Um, we're very close. And it's funny because we're kind of like the odd couple in that he is, he's got like ADD. Everything is organized. Everything is perfect. He keeps his tackle perfect. He knows where everything is. And at the same time, he knows what he's going to go through when I start looking for my stuff scrambling that last minute when we're going fishing. So, uh, yeah, we have a lot in common. And again, uh, he is the my fishing go-to buddy that I know no matter what happens, whether I catch or not, whether I fall in the lake, which I've done with him. Or not, um, we're going to have a good time. So Steve is up in that Westchester area. There is some really fine fishing up there. I, you know, if, if you folks have never done it, it's like an hour. Uh, well, from Comac, it takes me a little bit over an hour to get there. And it's just amazing. It's crystal clear water. There's very little pressure. Um, it's... Just a really, really wonderful trip and a great way to get some really good freshwater action. So 
Steve always manages to get out a couple hours here, a couple hours there. I mean, he literally fishes five five days a week, and he's got a full-time job. So running his own business. So I spoke with him a little bit earlier about what's happening up in his... So I'm on the line with my good and close fishing friend, Mr. Steve Luft. We This is the guy that uh, the partner that you fish with all the time, and you just have a great time no matter what happens. I could spend probably a year's worth of podcasts talking about fishing stories we've been through. But Steve fishes as much, if not more, than anyone I know, and he's up in a beautiful uh, northern Westchester area where there's just a lot of great fresh water that's starting to boil up. So, Steve, uh, what's going on up in your neck of the woods? It's uh, Things are starting to heat up a little bit up here. Um, stopped by yesterday down by Kensico for a few casts, and uh, cast, 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 but after 100 casts, I had nothing. But no fish. No fish. <laughs> no fish. But, Not the uh, first time. No, 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 but conditions look real good. Mm-hmm. Um, water temperature is still pretty cold, but that's how those trout like them. Yeah, um, yeah. We'll, we'll be back out there again. Anybody out there fishing? Usually um, this time of year, it's pretty crowded. Yeah, no, actually, uh, there's not much uh, pressure up there now. I mean, a couple of guys, uh, the locals are fishing. The old-timers, that's what we see out there every year we see. Right. He's, he's been out there, and uh, I think he's been producing because I've seen him out there for a, you know, a couple of yeah, he's days. always there, though, you know. I mean, always. I, I mean, that guy fishes there, like, every day. I know, but we need to get out. I know we uh, usually do the first week in April, but uh, hopefully we'll get out next week, you and I, up there. Well, we have to. It's uh, in small amount of time. So how's, how's that looking? Um, and talk, just talk a little bit about the the, uh, the bodies of water you fish. You don't have to talk about what you catch and when and where, but... Um, well, I mean, from where I live, I have, you know, I have the Titicus Reservoir. We have Muscoot, mm-hmm. uh, Cross River. Mm-hmm. These are just ones within, I guess, five miles of my home. Nice. Um, but I was down Monday. I stopped down at uh, Muscoot, and uh, they have a terrific uh, black crappie season over there. Uh, the fisheries over there are fantastic, and I tried for some black crappie on Monday. I went out mm-hmm. on the boat in the afternoon and uh, with a road runner and... No black crappie, but I did have six small largemouth. Oh, nice. nice. So uh, it was a little something. Um, yeah. But usually usually you start getting those the largemouth before those smallmouth kick in, you know? All right. So that's two days you went out fishing. Any yeah. other th- this week? <laughs> any any well, other trips you've managed to sneak in? <laughs> the week prior to that, I did tell you I went up to Titicus for trout, and we trouted and uh, thrown some spoons, no no, no luck at all. And then we wound up uh, hooking up with four good-sized pickerel. Yeah, and, uh, they fight nice, you know. And they, they, they hit. No, they hit like a ton of bricks uh, in mm. much shallower water. You know, we were actually we were um, drop shotting in uh, some much shallower water. So and you got them on drop shots. On drop shots, yes. <laughs> so now, what are you what are you fishing on a drop shot? Are you using like a finesse worm or what? I am. I'm been using a finesse worm, um, mm-hmm. and I've been reading and looking and experimenting with, um, it seems that when you put some sort of tail on it, whether it's a paddle tail or a, right. or some sort of tail, 
it mm-hmm. really helps that uh that uh that drop shot bait, you know? They uh the mm-hmm. tails really seem to do the trick. Yeah, I never I never had much luck drop shot, you know that. I know because you if don't anybody have knows it it's you. <laughs> <laughs> right. I, don't, I don't have the patience, but I'm pretty good at jigging those babies. But uh, you, you're you're the master of jigging. But yeah, yeah. that uh, the drop shotting is, um, you know, the conditions really have to be perfect for drop shotting. It's, uh, you know, it has to be, you know, dead calm, no current. You know, it's uh, right, right. Otherwise, you're wasting your time. But uh, yeah. Right. So let's uh, let's figure next week. We'll actually get some video. We'll post it up on the website, and uh, we'll get together. Maybe I glass Joe wants to take a ride. Great. I'll have to ask him. All Great. right, Stevie, listen, thanks a million for uh, calling in, and I am going to see you definitely next week because I'm running upstate to get all my uh, my freshwater stuff. So Terrific. Um, I will definitely talk to you next week. Thanks right, a million George. for calling in. Good luck with the podcast, pal. All right. Thanks, pal. Thank you. Bye-bye. Well, folks, as I wrap up this episode, it's April 15th. It's tax deadline, but at the same time, it's opening day for striped bass fishing here in New York. I can see by some posts on our website and to our Instagram feed that there's already been many bass taken. I know that uh, New Jersey has had one heck of a season so far. There seem to be a ton of bass in the area. And I would ask you all to consider releasing any fish you see that appear to be egg-laden because these fish are on their way up the Hudson. They're not, they're, on, they're not on their way out. They have not laid their eggs yet. So please keep that in mind. Look, we're all, um, we, we, we're all right to take a couple fish and take a fish home every day and stay within the limits. But you might want to consider, and I urge you to consider, returning those females that have yet to spawn Well, once again, I want to thank everyone for your continued support of my website, NewYorkAngler.com. Also, this podcast, the New York Fishing Podcast. I ask you to subscribe. Please rate me. Five stars, obviously, and thumbs up wherever you can. And also, keep in mind, you can get this anywhere on your iPhone, on your Android. You could get it at home. You could get it on your Alexa. You could get it every way you could think of. Spotify, Stitcher. I know I'm missing a couple. Google Play. That's a big one. So we're everywhere. And we will be updating this podcast. We also don't forget to listen to Anthony Gucciardo's Surfcasting podcast that's also available on our website and all those same platforms. And Anthony is part of the team. He's brought along his uh, very popular Instagram page, which we urge you to uh, follow. That would be the ny underscore angler dot com. I mean, the, forget the dot com, ny underscore angler on Instagram. So once again, thank you, folks. Get out there. It's fishing time. I mean, we couldn't ask for better weather at this. Well, actually, today we could after that uh, storm last night. But everyone get out there, get fishing, and let's enjoy this uh, one of the best fishing times of the year here in New York waters. Once again, thanks for joining me, and I'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the New York Angler Podcast. You can find more on fishing New York waters at nyangler.com, your secret spot online.